big ass brain. Thank you. <laughs> this got so sexual. Do you feel that way? A little bit. It just felt so sexual. It got really bit. turned on. I don't know how I'm like flexing. Listen, it got a little hot. Mm, keep going. <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Poet Salon, a podcast where we talk to poets over a drink we've prepared especially for them. I'm Gabrielle Bates. I'm Duji Tahat. And I am Luther Johnson Hughes III. Damn. Yes, he is. <laughs> Hit you <laughs> with a third. Ah. Number three. Last week, we talked with Quentin Baker about rap music, the physicality of erasure, all sorts of genius things. And this week, we've asked them to bring in a poem by someone else for us to chat about. Quentin chose the poem Writers to a Blood Red Wrath by Gwendolyn Brooks. So let's do it. Oh, hey, you're back. If you didn't hear last week's episode, first of all, go back and listen to it. You're welcome. If you did, you know that the audio for our interview with Quentin is, well, listenable. And while last week we asked you to imagine yourself on Luther's upper lip, this week you'll want to think of yourself as holding for dear life onto the tips of Quentin's beard hair. Trust me, you'll love it. Writers to the Blood Red Wrath by Gwendolyn Brooks. My proper prudence toward his proper probe astonished their ancestral seemliness. It was a not nice risk, a wrought risk, was an indelicate risk, they thought, and an excess. How was I handled my discordances and prides and apoplectic ice? How was I reined my charger, channeled the fit fume of his most splendid honorable jazz, escaped the closing and adverted sight, waving all witnesses except of rotted flowers framed in maimed velvet, that mad demi-art of ancient and irrevocable hours, waving all witness except of dimnesses from which extrude beloved and pennant arms of a renegade death impatient at his shrine and keen to share the gases of his charm. They veered a vintage, careening from tomorrow's, blaring away from my just genesis. They loot last night, they hug old graves, root up decomposition, warm it with a kiss. The national anthem vampires at the blood. I am a uniform, not brusque. I bray through blur and blunder in a little voice. This is a tender, a tender grandeur, a tide fray. Under macabre's stratagem and fair, fine smiles upon the face of Holocaust. My scream, unedited, unfrivolous. My laboring, unlatched braid of heat and frost. I hurt. I keep that scream in at what pain, at what repeal of salvage and eclipse, army unhonored, meriting the gold, I have sewn my guns inside my burning lips. Did they detect my parleys and replies? My revolution pushed his twin the mare, the she-thing with the soft eyes that conspire to lull off men before him everywhere. Perhaps they could not see what wheedling bent her various heart in models of submission and sent her into a firm skirmish which has, which has tickled out the enemy's sedition. They do not see how deftly I endure. Deep down the whirlwind of good rage I store commemorations in an utter thrall, although I need not eat them anymore. I remember kings, a blossoming palace, silver, ivory, the conventional wealth of stalking Africa, all bright, 
all bestial, snarling marvelously. I remember my right to roughly run and roar, my right to raid the sun, consult the moon, nod to my princesses or split them open, to flay my lions, eat blood with a spoon. You never saw such running and such roaring, nor heard a burgeoning heart so crazed and pound, nor sprang to such a happy rape of heaven, nor sanctioned such a kinship with the ground. And I remember blazing dementias aboard such trade as maddens any man. The mate and captain fragrantly reviewed the fragrant hold, and presently began their retching rampage among the luminous black pudding among the guttural chain slime, half fainting from their love affair with fetters that pledged a haughty allegiance for all time. I recollect the latter lease and lash and labor that defiled the bone, that thinned my blood and bloodline, all my climate, my foster designers designed and disciplined. But my detention and my massive stain and my distortion and my calvary, I grind into a little light lorgnette, most sly, to read man's inhumanity, and I remark my matter is not all, Man's chopped in China, in India indented, from Israel what's Arab is resented, Europe candies custody and war. Behind my expose I formalize my pity, I shall cite, star, and esteem all that which is of woman, human, and hardly human. Democracy and Christianity recommence with me, and I ride, ride, I ride on to the end where glowers my continuing calvary. I, my fellows in those canny consorts of our spread hands in this contretemps for love, ride into wrath, wraith, and menagerie to fail, to flourish, to wither, or to wind. We lurch, distribute, we extend, begin. Just how dare she? Right. <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep going like that didn't just happen the national anthem vampires have the blood i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh, tattoo on my chest like what do you vampire, how do you turn vampire into a, or, to a bird <laughs> yeah i mean it's just i hurt that, that alone <laughs> i keep that screaming at what pain at what repeal of salvage and eclipse I have sewn my guns inside my burning lips. Oof. When she does the change up with those really short lines. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, she's uh. Kings, and then the one that's just I, comma. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That is, I love that. That I, comma, by someone Oh, oh I love everything. it so much. Um, Especially from a formalist like her, because you, like, you don't break a form that dramatically without really knowing what you're doing. It places it heavy. Mm. And right to the word Calvary, like, just that. <laughs> Calvary yes. to the I, like, I am the Calvary. Like, yes. this is me. And it's just, and then to my fellows. <laughs> mm. Like, mm-hmm, mm. mm-hmm. That and that that and I ride, ride, I ride on to the end. Just the, the, the break of the using punctuation there, like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So Quentin, why did you choose this poem? This is the poem that I come back to um all the time. If I feel stuck, if I feel um lost, like I've lost sight of what it is I wanna do, I come back to this poem. I think this is like Everything that Gwendolyn is doing in this poem is everything that I always want to be doing. So um, from like whether it's coming to it for her mastery of sound 
and like rhyme and meter or if it's coming to it for her mastery of image her mastery of surprise like it's there's nothing that's missing um technique wise or i mean and this is like a mature gwendolyn brooks this is one of her later poems this is her in full mastery of her powers um and it's her attending to something big and difficult that could be sloppy or ugly um and it is sloppy and ugly in the ways in which she wants it to be so it's that um the ways in which she's in control of everywhere that this poem goes and it goes from centuries and continent like it's it goes all over um but it's just the way that she's in control is astounding and i think also the fact that it's um i think if if you if you put 30 people in a room 30 poets in a room who love poetry and who have read a lot of Gwendolyn Brooks i don't know how many of them will have like this is this poem isn't talked about you can't even find it on the internet it's not anthologized you can't read it on the internet we're going to put it up on the internet good cuz it needs cuz no one's published it except like and there's actually this crazy story um where so this was in her selected um which is like all the poems that came out and then some new poems and this was one of those new poems and there was a article in like Harper's or the Atlantic some big thing well, I guess this, this is what they used to do back in fucking 60s, whatever. But there was like this article where this dude was talking about like all the poems that should be in there and shouldn't be in there. And he was like, Riders of the Blood Red Wrath is garbage and shouldn't be in there. And so um, her editor, Elizabeth Lawrence, like I have this. Can I read this thing? Because um, this is this is from an auto, a biography of Gwendolyn. And she like where she's like giving this impassioned plea um to her editor like for you know like for this poem and she says um but elizabeth the only thing i want to scream over is writers to the blood red wrath my salute to the freedom writers i'm so old now that i know when i have written a good poem and this is one of the best i've ever made to have been maudlin, propagandistic, declamatory, or even vengeful would have been very easy. I avoided, escaped all that. I vigorously believe I made a poem that will stand as a poem outside the prevailing confusion as well as inside it, and after as well as during. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And that's what I feel like this poem does. It exists, like, both within this specific moment of the Freedom Riders, but then, of course, also outside of it, because everything that exists here also. And, and it's just the way that she does that and the way that she set out to do that, like that mastery of intent and outcome. She knows the risks she's dealing with. And I, I love that that letter details them. Like it shows her intentionality in knowing the pitfalls and avoiding them while still writing a very risky poem. Yeah. It's not a risk averse poem. No. At all. Not at all. It's one of her longest poems, right? It's it's one of the her long like she has those really long poems like Annie the Annie Ad and it, so it's one of her longer poems like after that period where she was writing really long like book like poems. So it's yeah it's one of her longer, not a book length yeah, poem right, poem. Right. And I guess that's more of what I mean in terms of just yeah like a poem in a collection. Yeah, like a discrete single. Yeah. yeah. 
it's so it's so interesting to get the background and like to hear a little bit of that snippet of her sort of fighting for this poem in the context of in the poem where there's the stanza where like behind my expose i formalize my pity mm. it feels like in a lot of ways right in that she's talking about how poetry like you know you collect your disappointment or i think like you look back on your feelings and organize them in some sort of way or that's how i read it and so it's sort of interesting to read this poem as sort of an organizing of all of the risks that she knows that she was up against in writing it in that exchange uh with her editor um, yeah and there's like a very there's a i mean gwendolyn is fascinating like her career arc and her like the concerns in her work and you know people like the two people who've written about this poem point to it as like her increased like politicizing like the her you know the way that she's like becoming more overtly or like outwardly explicitly concerned with race subjects um and i just i just i think it's so unfair to her because when you think about the Aniad, you think about Maud Martha, think about like Street and Bront in the Mecca, all these things, she's always attended to black interiority, to the lived lives of ordinary black people. And there's nothing out of the ordinary about the Freedom Riders. These are just regular motherfuckers who were like... And I guess so. The, there's like a this idea that it's like a disconnect, but no, like I guarantee you, every black person who is aware of what it means to be black is doing the best that they can to survive in the ways in which they think are best for them and their community. And that's all Gwendolyn Brooks has ever written about. And I say that's all like it's not like it's not a small thing, but that's what that's what she's always written about. And so to here when she decides to put it in this big context, well, it's not really a big context. It's just fraught with possible pitfalls, which she talks about wanting to avoid. What she's for me, what she's talking about is I don't want to give these white folks a reason to dismiss this because it's this big race thing. So she wants to attend attend to it in the same so I just I feel like the fact that this poem can be written by someone like Gwendolyn Brooks and still be like like you said not on the internet astounding <laughs> the I in this poem reminds me in some ways of your use Quentin thank you very collective mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very on a first read if you don't know the history that this is about the freedom writers um, it's a very sort of mysterious eye for a while because um, at least I enter the poem thinking it's it's more of a like proto Gwendolyn speaking to mm -hmm. me. So I read a line like my proper prudence toward his proper probe and it's very iambic and I'm like, okay, so this is Gwendolyn talking about Shakespeare maybe? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. And I still am not totally sure who that his who that he is mm -hmm. that's referenced in that first line. So if anyone has any insight into that, I'd love to hear it. But um, yeah, just the use of that first person um, feels very in keeping with your work. Yeah, no, I, I think that's also what I love about um, this poem is like, because I mean, I am, I'm interested in, in how, how do you expand the eye, which is like, 
by nature an exclusive pronoun but like how how do you how do you broaden it um especially for those for whom it has never not only has it not been broadened but has been like truncated or guillotined so that's why i think what she's how she's able to do that here is fantastic um praiseworthy and the we is so fraught at least in this moment you write a poem in the we people really buck against it and rightfully so because they're like how dare you speak for me um are, are you trying to speak to some sort of universal we that is almost always a white one um so i think a collective i in some ways is subverting that pronoun trouble um that's a little too easy to say we. yeah so as someone who's writing a manuscript of poems that are all using we um it's hard <laughs> it is what? well all all the invented form stuff um well, I don't know what form it was published in, but it's all in the first person plural. And a lot of the redacted poems are I's. Some of them are we's, but there's like, um, but yeah, but it's still that, it's that same, for me, it's an attempt to present a different understanding of how we functions. Um, a non, like actually, yes, an exclusive we, but a we that's excluding like, hegemony or dominance in a way that's like broadening to like all of the like various endless permutations of black interiority which is i think like what the eye in here is attending to um because if you if you to talk about the freedom writers in a singular eye is to talk about the individual eyes joined to like a larger movement and so, you know, it's like when Audre Lorde says that our differences broaden the joining, that's like what I think of this pronoun doing is like it, it broadens the joining. It's not meant to draw division around it, but rather to draw where these individuals overlap in their purpose. Talk more about the, the we. Um, when, I, when I think of we, I think of like, it being like law-abiding, constitutional, mm. um, right? There's a there's a, a history of it being speaking for other people, right? Um, from a white male gaze, right? And so the we becomes really me as a white man feeling telling you how to feel, right? But the we you're talking about, the we that's in Rip's poem feels like it's trying to just like subvert that a little bit. It's like it's still constitutional in some way, right? But it's a different constitution that I'm abiding by and not the one that was placed upon me. Yes. Um and so I think for me when I see the eye, um, I don't see it as singular or even a or even necessarily like a pronoun per se. It's more mm -hmm. like a, a stance, like right the eye is standing on two feet at this point with other people. So the eye becomes kind of a a, a protest in a way, right? So I'm thinking of even your poem, I, right? Mm -hmm. How there's a little eye and a big eye, and how the little eye for me feels like, you know, kind of a, a dehumanization uh, versus the big eye being like godly or, you know, divine, right? So the eye, and a lot of people's poem who are, who are black becomes kind of a way to say, I'm divine in this way versus little eye being like, well, I'm just kind of, I'm saying something more about degradation versus divinity. I can keep going on and on. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I think like um I like I like the the idea of it as a stance 
and not a pronoun or like a like a position even um like because that's what because when we're talking when we're talking about like uh like the ordering of civil society or we're talking about the ways in which like oppression functions we're talking essentially about positionality we're talking about how people are positioned in relationship to one another and how those um relationships power relationships play out how that violence plays out so yeah so like taking it um so when that we or when that i really just becomes a shorthand for a dominant dominating violent position or positionality then finding a way to imbue that same one or two letters three letters as like with that other position yeah i think it's like a huge it's a huge task to accomplish and that's why i love this poem so much because she does it because you really have to attend to so much you can't fuck up you have to really like you can't hit a false note and it's so easy to do because of all of the kind of myth making that's done around the dominant culture and the dominating culture in our longer conversation we talked a little bit about for mirroring content Mm -hmm. for mirrors content for mirrors content but in this poem i love the moments where the form is in direct contrast with the content like this moment where and an excess that the like, shortest sentence is about excess i love that so much and there was another one. Oh, the first exclamation that mm. we get is after a little voice so right. it's just like these moments where she's so aware of the tension she's working with and the contrast and i just find it so brilliant and also so subtle and- yeah i mean she's so good at that um because I, I think it it also comes back to you know we talked about in the larger conversation a kind of play, but a kind of a kind of serious play with serious stakes, and so that's 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 also what she's engaged in here, um, because again she can't hit a false note. If 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 she hits a false note, then everything falls apart. But she's still going to take these chances because if she doesn't take these chances, that in of itself is a false note. So that's really like so to see her pull that off so effortlessly is really like it's just it's perfect you know what i love about this poem um what do you love about it the ellipses before Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the line right um i can't believe i didn't even mark that i I I didn't either in the music i didn't even notice i didn't mark it at all and i'm thinking about now like how's it working i just think this idea of madness right and to follow with that break ellipses and then the mate and captain will you read those three lines yeah yeah and i remember blazing oh and i remember blazing dementias aboard such trade as madness any man the mate and captain frequently reviewed etc 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 so but that ellipses is doing what's about bold work it's bold as can be like you don't have ellipses Mm -hmm. (laughs) in your poem (laughs) right um so to have it have it in the poem one to have a start a line too, right? It's just, it's wild, but it's doing so much work to get at this madness, I think, and this man, right? This 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 erasure of the madness and erasure of the man, it's there, but it's like, I'm not letting you know what it's doing besides letting you know that it's there, right? Um, I love it. Yeah, the ellipses is crazy um, because like, she, cause she's, she's faced with a very difficult pivot because so we have Africa, she's remembering this this turn back to, and that in of itself is kind of ironized. Um, and then, 
But now she has to attend to the slave trade and she has to attend to that metaphysical like fracture and change that you enter into the ship as a member of a tribe with a heritage and a history and you emerge that from that ship black and a slave. And so that ellipses is like, because we in, in a larger conversation, like I mentioned, Sadia Hartman and, and the um, enormity of the breach. And here we see Gwendolyn attending physically, sonically, visually to that breach. You can't just, she knows she can't just go into the slave trade. She has to, she has to attend to that madness and to the men. Like, you know, so that, that's really like, it's, it's such, I'm glad you pointed out because it's such a, it's such a beautiful perfect move and it is bold mm -hmm. but it also then when you read it it feels like it's the only thing that, that could possibly go yeah it, can go there, that. it's fantastic can you just say deep down the whirlwind of good rage just, I would just really like to keep close this idea of a good rage a good I feel rage. like I've been feeling mm. so much bad rage or yeah. useful rage but that just for Gwendolyn to say that that exists I'm like okay it exists and that's what I want. I want the good rage. Yeah, again, it's just, per it's just, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Deep down in the whirlwind of good rage, I store commemorations in an utter thrall. Uh. Although. I mean, Although. Although. Oh, <laughs> 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 she just, yeah, like you put in there. And then I but if you're broke, so you don't. Right. Keep going. Right. For two more pages. And these internal rhyme doubles of firm skirmish snarling marvelously. Just so, oh, just delicious music throughout it all. And in the, in the larger conversation, we were talking about the weight of the line. And to me, this is also why I come back to this poem because of like what she's doing on the line level in some of these is so fucking crazy that like, I recollect the latter lease and lash and labor that defiled the bone that thinned my blood and bloodline. That's <gasps> impossible. It's yeah. Each line is truly like a unit of meaning on its own terms. And yeah. it just keeps going. Doji, you've been real quiet. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of a smart thing to say. Um, You're always smart. <laughs> always. Um, I mean, like, in addition to the, I think what I was thinking is like, in that particular moment with the internal rhymes and stuff it's like it's really underscored by the repetition of the words right or just like slightly reoriented right so the mate and the captain fragrantly reviewed the fragrant hold mm -hmm. um, yeah there's a little chain yeah moments. constantly and what i actually think is i thought that that was a really clever way and i don't think i caught it at first but the more i thought about it, it as a really clever way of orienting the eye um, it, it really leads me into a positionality, right? Especially in orientation to like who, when, when fragrantly is a modifier versus like when it's a noun, mm -hmm. it makes one think what, who's it modifying on behalf of, or like, how are you receiving it? Um, and I just really love that play, right? It's this like really subtle thing that like, it does almost require these many pages to like really hit. Um, but by the end, I really caught myself just thinking, like, stuck on the repetitions. And I like the implication of what it does to the subject. Yeah, because she's using, 
and like in this case, again, you could really just teach like <laughs> this stanza for a couple of years. Um, Which stanza? The, and I remember blazing dementias with the ellipses and the, the mate and captain fragrantly reviewed the fragrant hold because it, so, but what she's doing with the repetition there, like, I love that you pointed this out. She's assigning responsibility in a, like, in a way, like through changing this, like the form that this word is in yeah. that link. She's like finding a way to say, this is all your fucking fault in a way. It's like direct and matter of fact like it is like and so that yeah that's just she doesn't her ability to not labor but to get all of the fruits of what could be labor that's to me always her greatest gift is that like oh, she's doing all of that work you see none of it and then she gives you the quickest point the quickest path between these two points this might be a dumb question, but how do you, is there a word for this sort of rhyme scheme that's, it's like every other line is rhyming, but then there's non-rhyming I mean, she, she breaks it out throughout, and then she breaks right. it, um, I mean, on the first page, I don't think it's broken at all. Seemliness, excess, how as, jazz, flowers, hours, arms, charms, genesis, kiss, fray, fray. <laughs> We can cut this. We don't have to go through all of this, but like it's regular, but also inherently irregular because the other two lines sandwiched in there don't rhyme. So I was just curious: is there a word for that? The sonnet? Like I don't know <laughs> what, what to call it. Like it's, I mean, it does end with a couplet that rhymes. So it's like it's sonnet-like mm. in its rhythm and its in its rhyme. Sonnet-esque. Sonnet-esque. The long sonnet. It's like a sonnet. half sonnet. <laughs> it's the Brooks sonnet. Exploded yeah. sonnet. Exploded. Oh, that's the actual thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a um, A B C B, right? Yeah, when I think when it does, yeah. it's consistent. It's A B C. A B C B. Yeah, which is like, I don't that there is that is, and I can't. I don't know. I don't think it's a ballad. I don't think it's a ballad. The ballad's different, but I don't have all these in my head. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, no, it is. It is. It is a pretty, it's a pretty regular, like, ABCB situation. Um, it's like, probe was discordances fume. Like, none of those mm-hmm. rhyme. But it's, like, irreg- it's like regularly not rhyming. Yes. With the regular rhyme. Yeah, and she talks about that. There's, she has this great book called Report from Part One, which is her, like, autobiography. There's, like, really wonderful pictures of her family in the middle. Um but she talks about this poem and she talks about like she she goes like stanza by stanza on some of her poems and she talks about like her like her relationship to form in this poem and how she like is purposefully like breaking out of it but like working within and against that regularity it's that same kind of like contrapuntal approach that i think like makes jazz interesting or you know any kind of like where you there's this really regular thing and she knows that but also being in tension with that is those breaks are presenting her with opportunity that she's taking advantage of it's almost the like beat like of a metronome Mm -hmm. right that where like the poem and i think the way long poems tend to do is like it really sort of overflowing right like with images and uh and language uh even the internal uh alliteration and whatnot but the 
a rhyme is sort of what keeps everything on task. Yeah. It, like really keeps you pointed in the same direction. Um, and I think it actually really only works because it's irregular. Right. Because yeah. it's every other. It'd be know. all we noticed otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. And I think like she, so she mostly completely breaks from it on the last yeah. page. Yeah. And I, so I think that's when she talks in report from part one, she talks about like this. And this is where like. And that's when the stances are getting so much shorter too. Mm-hmm. She brings that I alone on the, mm-hmm. on its own line with the comma, um, which is kind of where it has to end. Because she's looking out at like this, like what what's next? There's like this form that contains like this lineage and this history, but then now she's like looking outward and again, you know, to to as we were talking about like those hinterlands, those outer lands, and there's no there's no form that can contain that. So it's that breaking out. I think that is why the whole ending works, why that I work so well. Well, I mean, if returning to maybe a broader conversation of time and space and who owns what, right? If the rhyme is sort of like the beating of the drum um, and it's like the propulsion of time and it's her sort of working with that, it naturally, like it only makes sense that the end has to be away from that, right? Remove yourself from that. Yes, and I think like, I think this is what everything is working toward like i think every like non-dominant artist but i'm thinking of black artists especially like they're like i feel like everyone works toward from all these different angles and for all these different ways essentially how to break out of time because there's no way that time can continue how it's currently ordered and then also we live so like i think there's i think there's just that that move to me it's always su- like surprising and welcome it's always like um broadens for me what's possible every time i see that move made in a different way i appreciate it um but i think that's what she's doing at the end of that poem is that yes like essentially we, we have to find a way to break out of this kind of chronology this kind of ordering of events um because she's showing you what how what that kind of ordering looks like and ending on a rhyming couplet though it's like the ultimate using the master's tools that's like and i'm gonna do all of this and i'm gonna like expand the form and break the form and then i'm gonna do this like I, you know very risky i think for how it can come off as very like ta da, mm-hmm. too easy of a wrap up, but she totally kills it. Yeah. I mean, it is like a ta da, right? It's like yeah. I did this thing. <laughs> yeah. I can do right all now. this, and I can do what right. I do better than you. Exactly. And, the, and I think actually the subject shift too is like really important to mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like only in the last line do we get the we lurch distribute, mm-hmm. we extend, yep. begin, right? And not only is mm-hmm. the flour the it's flourish then becomes like not what can I do, this capital P poet, mm-hmm. but rather like look what I'm doing for us or like what are look at what mm-hmm. we are doing. Yeah. But not, and with the beginning uh, also is such a risky move. Right. That could also come off as very God, like forced in or like too cute. But it's so not. It's so haunting and, and cowering and Will you risk your reader being like, Okay, 
where do we go if we're back at the beginning but you can't there's no way you can read that and fail that way at all no but yeah it's just that last line the rhythm of it is flawless the expansion to the we is flawless we lurch distribute we extend begin it's like because it's it because then it functions also as a directive begin like so every time you get to the end of the poem it's like you're being impelled to start something which the poem has taught you what you should be starting and how you can start it yeah like what do we need besides this poem that's what i always say just the canon we need and deserve like this one poem this is why this is the only poem i come back to I'm not the only one, but it's like the one I, you know, and then half the time I'm like, I don't need to write ever again. And the other half, I'm like, cool, let me go write. No, it is. It is. It impels you like your incredible poem, I, which reminds me of the I from this one line where it's, you know, I'm you know compelled to the page or I'm told to go back to the page. What's the actual line? I don't know what you're talking about. In your poem. Oh, that poem. Yeah. Um, I return... There's a note, go to the page, and I return to the eyes like mine. It feels like they're saying, go to the page. Yeah. It's like, begin. Do it. Yeah, do the work. That is what she's saying. It is. It's like, you can't, because here's this whole big thing, but then still, you must. You have to. There's nothing else. Thank you to Quentin uh, for coming over and talking to us, uh, for being so smart and articulate in the way he expressed things. Thank you to Open Books, A Poem Emporium, the greatest poetry bookstore in the world. In the nation. And if you like what you hear, you better hit that subscribe button. Hate it. Rate us five stars. Five stars. Cinco. Five stars. Which helps other folks looking for poetry podcasts find us, The Poet Salon, a.k.a. Cognac Cuties your favorite new poetry <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Lastly, follow us on Twitter at Poet Salon Pod and send us your questions and thoughts and compliments, mostly just compliments. <laughs> All of the compliments. All the nice things. Our tones of voice, how smart we are. We're still smart, y'all. <laughs> send it to <laughs> the Poet Salon Pod at gmail.com. Talk soon. Gonna show you who's man's Cause my crew mob steady Feddy and spaghetti Feddy and spaghetti Feddy and the We need a cardboard cutout of Sharon Olds. That is hilarious.